0: Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 18, Genesis 18, and uh, we apologize for those of you sitting over here and the projector decided it was going to die. Um, we are ordered replacements for those, but things are taking a while to come, especially when it comes to electronics, so... Genesis 18. Now, uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and uh, I hope you have been following along, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And I get great encouragement from those of you who uh, email or message me uh, what you're learning as you personally are going through Genesis. It's a great opportunity to actually spend so a length of time in a book of the Bible that we really don't tend to spend a lot of time in. The reality is many of us come to Genesis to hear the stories that we grew up hearing if you if you've been to church as a kid. So the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the story of Noah's Ark, the story of uh, uh, Moses uh, in coming in Exodus, the forethought of that as God foretells these things. And we hear uh, the story of Joseph, which we're going to get to later on, all of this. Um, and we miss a lot of in between. So I want to encourage you: read your Bible, take some time to invest into the text of Scripture, spend time in that. Um, and we've uh, we we were going at a pretty fast pace. We've slowed down a little bit. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to encounter some of the honestly some of the most challenging pieces of Genesis uh, coming up in really nineteen and twenty. Uh, if you've never read that, you buckle up. It's, it is a portion of scripture. Many times we, I'll say avoid, and I'm going to tell you, uh, we're not going to avoid it because it's the word of God. And that's the benefit of going through a book like Genesis. But as we think about this, um, I want to give you to start off. I, I, I want to give you some statements that you may be prone to have heard, okay? Um, so if you have heard this statement before, I want you to just put your hand up when it comes up, okay? Uh, and we're going to use this to kind of introduce what we're going to see in today's text in Genesis chapter 18. So here's your first statement. You can do anything you set your mind to. How many of you have heard that? A lot of us. I've heard that. Okay? Here's another one. You can be whatever you want to be. How many of you heard that? Okay, all right. Third statement: Work hard, and you can accomplish anything. How many of you heard that? Okay. Here's another one: The sky is the limit. All right. There's one more here. I'll see if you can finish it. I can do all things through. I meant to say a verse taken out of context. Okay, that really is a quote from Philippians 413 that many people use to say what the other statements are saying, where it says you can do anything that you want to do. And then we tack Jesus on it and we go, I can do anything I want to do because I have Jesus on my side. And uh in Philippians 4 just this is a sidebar but just to clarify because this is a pet peeve of mine um what Paul's actually talking about there is that he's learned how to be content in all circumstances whether he has plenty or he has nothing whether he is full or he is hungry and he says regardless I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's Quite a bit different than how our world takes that verse and goes, Guess what? You can do and be whatever you want to be, and Jesus has got your back. Now, the reason I put these up here is because unfortunately, while good intent is behind each one of these statements, they have become deceptively influential in our lives. And we see this everywhere in our culture. And the biggest deception in all of this is that you alone can do it. And as a result, our culture has taken this idea that if you just work hard enough and you just try hard enough and you just keep doing you, that you will be successful at whatever you put your mind to. And the biggest problem with that is the emphasis on you. Here's the reality. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Everyone say, nothing Nothing. is too hard for the Lord. Now, we're going to see this played out today. And what I want you to recognize in this is God's sovereignty. God as the one who accomplishes his purpose and the joy of you and I having the opportunity as the church to participate in how God is fulfilling his promises. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Genesis 18. It says there, And the Lord appeared to him, him there is Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. Wash your feet. Rest yourself under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do... As you have said now, here's the reality of this in these first five verses in verse one, when it says, and the Lord appeared to him. That word Lord is the word Yahweh, Yahweh God appears to Abraham. And I have to wonder, and again, it's fun to speculate about some of these things, what Abraham was doing uh, when these three men appear to him because it says, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked. I'm convinced he was taking a nap. I could be wrong. It doesn't say. He lifts up his eyes and all of a sudden there's these three men standing in front of him and he goes, oh, so he runs from the door. He's excited and Look at his response. We, we can gather from Abraham's response what kind of men these were. Because if they had just been three ordinary guys, Abraham's response here would have looked different. And instead, Abraham runs from his tent and he gets closer and says what? He bowed himself to the earth. And then he says, O oh Lord, or my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And he offers ultimately uh, he, he asks them to share uh, I'm going to call it a snack. A morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. They go, Do as you said. Now it's really funny what happens next. Because Abraham takes this, let me bring you a morsel of bread. And he pulls out all the stops. I, he goes, look at what takes place here in verse six. Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three Sarah's a fine flower. Now I have to wonder, just being a husband myself, how Sarah interpreted this. Right? <laughs> here, comes, here comes Abraham in the tent door. He's like, quick, get the flower, make bread. Do this, this, and this. Again, just speculation. If I did that, my wife is going to go, slow down. What is going on? So, three seahs of fine flour. Now, what's really interesting about this is if some of you may have a footnote in your Bible that talks about how much a seah is. And a seah is is about seven quarts. Okay? So we went from a morsel of bread to bring the whole pot of flour. Three says of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And if my kids were reading this, they would say, Abraham, you need to say please. In <laughs> verse 7, it says, and Abraham ran to the herd. So he gets done telling his wife, make cake. Then he goes and runs to the herd. Verse 7, Take, t- took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, really there's not a ton we can glean from this. But I'm going to say the moral of the story in this section of scripture is, if God shows up, pull out all the stops. Okay? But we do learn a lot here. And how Abraham responds to the presence of these three. And I have to challenge us in thinking, when we encounter God at work, how do we respond? And as we're gonna see even later on, I'm convinced that so often we are so distracted by accomplishing our own goals and purposes because I can do whatever I want to do if I set my mind to it, that we miss God at work. How would we respond if we were in the same shoes as Abraham here? Something to challenge ourselves with. Now, while eating, these three men inquire about Sarah. So, uh, verse 9, chapter 18, says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord, get this, Yahweh said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, verse 11 is a clarifying statement. It says, now Abraham Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So if you go back uh, and read just before this in Genesis 17, you're going to find that God has already told Abraham that his promise will be fulfilled through Sarah. If you go back even further you find that God had promised that he would build a nation through Abraham long before this point in time. And then Abraham really struggles with patience and starts to try to take matters into his own hands. And Sarah does the same. And Sarah says, well, here's my servant Hagar. Just have children with her so God's purposes will be fulfilled. And when we talked about that, we discuss how our impatience often leads us to try and speed up the process of God fulfilling his promises. It doesn't work. God will fulfill his promises in his time, in his way. And whether it's that Abraham hadn't communicated this to Sarah, or that Sarah just didn't believe Abraham, we don't know. Because God had said, it's going to be through Sarah. Sarah. She's going to have a son. And Abraham and Sarah are in their 90s. Okay, Abraham is 100 years old. And so this seemingly impossible thing, the Lord Himself is now saying, I'm going to come back, not in a month, I'm going to come back a year from now and she's going to have a son. And Sarah is listening to this. And in verse 12, she laughs to herself. It says, so Sarah laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And of course, it says she laughed to herself. So this could have been an internal, like, yeah, right. But the Lord hears. And I don't know about you, but I find great conviction in seeing that the Lord God hears even Sarah's thought life when she laughs at the possibility of what God has just said He will do. How often do we do this with God's Word? We read miraculous accounts and promises of God and internally... We laugh, or we doubt God's ability, and if we're honest, we internally quip, I'll believe it when I see it. So often, if we're really to step back and evaluate the condition of our heart, we're going to quickly see that we wrestle with faith in a God who can accomplish anything He chooses. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Verse 13, the Lord says to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And here is where this statement that we've been talking about comes from, church family. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, and I I read this in this kind of voice, no, but you did laugh. You did. I heard you. Church family, there's two primary thoughts when we think about this narrative that I want to draw out of here. Number one, the fulfillment of God's promises rests on His ability, not our own. The fulfillment of God's promises rests in His ability, not our own. Too often, you and I are most prone to look at what's up before us and go, I can't do that. More specifically, we look at what God has called us to in his word. And we go, well, that's not for me. Now, I've, I've talked about this before, but if you were to go, um, go back in time and uh, take a look at junior high and high school age Matt Spangler you would laugh at the idea that I would be standing here where I am right now. And what I mean by that is there were two, uh, really three things that I despised in junior high and high school. And if you question or doubt this at all, you can talk with my mom because she would reaffirm these things. Um, it was reading, writing, and talking in front of people. Okay. Um, Three things that I could care less. Put me in the seat of a tractor in the middle of a field by myself, and I was happy as could be, all right? I still enjoy that a lot. But when I chose at 16 years old to truly surrender to God's will for my life, and it was at the challenge of my pastor at the time who said, Matt, you need to make sure that whatever you set your mind to, that you're setting your mind on what God is calling you to, not just what you want for yourself. And when I chose to actually surrender to that, God started doing a work in me, which has instilled spiritual giftedness in me that are not of my own doing, but are a gift from God for the benefit of the church. And guess what? That promise in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 is the same thing for each and every one of you who believes in the name of Jesus to be saved. We make the mistake so often of going, oh, I can never do that. Yeah, that's just not my thing. It it, it may not be. And those are the very things that God may equip and gift you to do. Guess what? So that he gets the glory and not you. Because then when anyone looks at your life and maybe your testimony way back when is like, there's no way you'd be someone who's pursuing Jesus And God goes, you just wait. Just wait and see what I'm going to do in that person. Because nothing is too hard for the Lord. That brings me ultimately to the second recognition in here that I I pray you find great hope in. And that is this, you are never so far gone that God cannot use you for His glory. The biggest struggle for Sarah and Abraham in this text is that we're old and worn out. How could God possibly fulfill His promise in this way? And God goes, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now brothers and sisters, I am not saying that some of you wiser saints should expect a baby in the next year. (laughs) All right? (laughs) It's not what I'm saying. But brothers and sisters, if there is still breath in your lungs, you are a vessel for God's name to be glorified on earth. And too often I see so many people that convince themselves that they've put in their time and I'm just going to relax. And I call it the spiritual retirement mentality. And I love, I love those of you who have worked hard your whole life and you have gotten to this place where you don't have to work a job anymore and can enjoy life. I love that. But your work for the glory of God is not done. It does not end until God calls you home someday. And the most profound example of this I will continue to share with all of you as long as God gives me breath in my lungs was our dear sister Charlotte Nagley. And every time I would go visit her, she would she would say to me, because she didn't see this, but I saw this. She would say, I just don't understand why the Lord still has me here. And then she would go on to share about every single one of the nurses that she was sharing Jesus with. And I would go, Charlotte, I know why you're here. And I know exactly why you're in this place. And the most amazing part of this, it still gives me chills, is the night she died, Brandon and I were like 15 minutes late. But she had left her Bible open on her nightstand. And the nurse that was with her in her last moments picked up the Bible and just read it to her. Literally all the way to her last dying breath. She was sharing the word, the hope of Jesus with those around her. I go, I want to be like Charlotte. Right? I want to be like Charlotte. You are never so far gone that God cannot use you for his glory. And the same goes the other way. Those of you young people, teenagers, Those younger than teenage years, you are never too young to be used for the glory of God. But it comes with a choice. And so those of you in your teenage years or younger, I want you to think about, am I focused solely on being who I want to be or am I focused on being who God wants me to be? And the simplest way to do that is to ask yourself, what does it look like for me to be more and more like Jesus? You are never at a point where God cannot use you for His glory. Now, too often, what happens and why we don't live this way is because of this. Number one, we become so preoccupied by our, by our own dreams that we miss the heart of God. By nature, you all are selfish, self-centered people, and I'm with you. It is not hard for us to think about ourselves. It takes work and intentionality to pursue the heart of God. And one of the reasons that we tell you, read your Bible, be in God's Word, is because the only way you're going to know what the heart of God is, is to be in the Word of God. And then surround yourself with people who are going to share with you the truth of God's Word. There's a lot of loud voices that will threaten to drown that out. Secondly, we become so convinced of our inability that we forget who we serve. And this prevents us from living as if we serve the God who can do anything. And we see this in our prayer lives. When was the last time that we in our homes boldly prayed for something that only God could do? How often do we become weary of praying for the salvation of someone we love because we just see no change in them? We convince ourselves of our inability and in so doing, forget the one we serve. Lastly, the reason we tend to falter in this as we become so weary of our own plans falling apart that we assume that God's purposes must be the same way. I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to on a regular basis who are so discouraged when they look at the world around them and they're just wondering, what, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord in the midst of this? And I say he's in the same place he has been from the beginning of time and the same place he's going to be at the end of time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we can become so convinced that everything's falling apart that we actually forget that God's in control. And that nothing is too hard for the Lord. That simple reminder. I want to give you three practical applications in the midst of this. Number one, know the promises of God. If you're sitting here going, I don't even know what God's promised. You need to spend some quality time in the word asking the question, what has God promised? And what hasn't he Kids, I hate to burst your bubble, but God has not promised that you're going to be a sports star. Working brothers and sisters, God has not promised that you will be monetarily successful in this life. Those of you retired, God has not promised that you will have long years in your retirement. Those are not things He's promised. If we become fixated on those things, we're going to be really discouraged a lot of the time. But there is hope. There is hope rooted in the reality that God has promised that in Christ there is no longer death, but life eternal. A salvation that does not depend on your own ability, and in fact it cannot. As Ephesians 2 would say, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God saw our greatest need and intersected and calls us to Himself and has made a way through Christ that all who believe in the name of Jesus will be saved. That's the gospel. And you cannot do it yourself. Number two, check your personal priorities with the commands of God. Once I know what God has promised and what He's asked of me, I need to do some evaluation and go... Does my life declare that my God can do anything? Or have I limited Him? Have I put God in my box? We do that a lot. And we forget that I'm created in God's image. He's not created in mine. And number three, refocus your faith on God Almighty. All-powerful, all-knowing just, righteous, holy God who never changes. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Because in the midst of this, as we close out this time, reminding ourselves that... um, Nothing is too hard for the Lord. I want to read a passage of Scripture and then the song we're going to sing in closing is actually from this passage in Romans 8. But I want you to hear the text of Scripture as we think about this in application and then I want us to declare that together as we prepare to go from this place into a week of unknowns. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. And I'm going to read to the end of Romans chapter 8. In light of all that you're facing today, you may be wrestling with the question of, how do I respond? What do I do? How do I navigate these things? And whatever that is, maybe it's loss and grief. Maybe it's financial distress. Maybe it's relational stress in your marriage or your family, distant family. Maybe it's transitions that are just hard You fill in the blank, whatever that is right now. Physical illness. What do I do? I pray these words from God's word are encouraging to you. In Romans 8, starting verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Nothing, church family, is too hard for the Lord. May you find hope And rest and comfort in that truth today. And may your faith be rooted in Him. Let's stand together. Father, as we think about these truths and consider these things, may You fix our eyes more fully on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may You instill in us by the power of Your Spirit a hope that fixates on Your ability, not our own. May we be the very people you've called us to be, not who the world says we can be or should be. May we be the ones who step out in contrast to a world that moves ever further away from your promises and your truths and clings to who you are and what you've called us to as your people. Root us further into your word and unify us by the power of your Spirit for your glory Today and every day hereafter, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.